Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement who are committed to a planetary purpose. My name is Julian Guderlei, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Colette Grosskurt and Holly Syred. They are sustainability and impact professionals. Um, their background really lies in social and environmental impact assessment for companies and financial institutions, and also renewable fashion. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Together, they have co-initiated projects that further the sustainable, sustainable development goals uh, agenda and realize a more sustainable fashion supply chain. And as global shapers, they started a project called Shaping Fashion. So with these words and my stumbling intro, uh, Colette and Holly, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure I left out a few things in, in setting the context about, you know, the, the, the deeply immersed background both of you have with sustainable apparel and sustainable fashion as a movement. So let's, let's jump in. Like, I know this is a really big topic if we look at the global landscape of sustainability, uh, everyday interaction, you know, because all of us have wear something every day. So maybe from both of you, like, how did you start? putting your heart and your attention and your creation, um, how did you start putting that all towards fashion and changing this marketplace? Yeah, maybe I, I can start. Um, so for me personally, it started, I think during my university period, um, where I actually got interested more into sustainability because I went on exchange to Australia, where I was sort of confronted with some of the effects of the environment on, yeah, on how human uh, beings interact with that and how sort of we should appreciate the, the valuable nature that's still out there. And actually up until then, I was very much into like fashion, fast fashion, magazines, sort of like the superficial side, as I see it now, of what fashion is to a lot of people. And actually thought we should be doing something about this. Uh, this is such a big industry with detrimental effects. Um, so actually, that was one of the first moments that I started to look into sustainable supply chain management, um, and then specifically in the uh, the fashion industry. So that I wrote my thesis on that or essay uh, on that uh, back in the days, and that sort of got me interested in the topic. Um, and now, actually, I'm more actively into it, like rather than doing research, uh, I really try to create a real impact. So making people aware of the issues that are underlying uh, this industry, both from a social and an environmental aspect, actually. Mm. Um, so, yeah, this was for me sort of the trigger uh, back in the days. Thank you. How about you, Holly? Because you also... Um together with the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, right? Yeah, so um, for me, I mean, my love for fashion was something I think I was almost born with. I've always been really appealed to clothing and how when you wear different things, what we were talking about before this interview, people can look at you differently and it gives you freedom of expression and just beautiful materials and textiles. Um, I even wrote for the school paper and did like this fashion fashion report <laughs> when I was at high school. Um, and then actually also at high school, I um, traveled abroad for the first time um, in a completely different context and went to Uganda and uh, traveled around Uganda with other students um, between the ages of 11 
and um, I think it was like 15 or something. We were pretty young. And that's the first time that I really experienced um, the beauty of the world, but also the differences um, in where you're born and how different opportunities are given. So that kind of set me on the course for wanting to do something good. And then it was only much later when I went into uni um, and actually after uni that those two things came together. So I went to a fashion academy in Amsterdam and studied branding and sustainability wasn't a topic then. Um, we're talking about a few years ago though. Um, so that's thankfully changed now. And it's only after I finished school, my very first job was at a fashion week in Amsterdam. I worked at Amsterdam Fashion Week. And my first day was in the National Zoo. And I like remember sitting at the, in this zoo and I was at a table with ecologists and with this director of Fashion Week. I remember calling my mum and being like, huh? I started working for Fashion Week and now I'm in this zoo looking at like um, vultures and tigers and stuff. And that's when my, my career and my life path completely changed because that's when I started to understand how um, the fashion industry has such an impact on biodiversity and ecology and how they're all interwoven. And I think for me, once I learned that, I, yeah, that just changed the way I, I wanted to work in the fashion industry and it was sustainable fashion from then on. Really cool. And together and as the Amsterdam hub of the Global Shapers, you guys started shaping fashion, right? Um, the dates back to 2018? I think we originally started in 2017 and um, we were thinking of, because it wasn't always set up at this giant scale and um, we just wanted to do something really positive and Colette and I worked together and we had like this consultancy um, helping really promising sustainable fashion initiatives in Amsterdam and then after we did that was it about a year Colette I think yeah we I think so yeah yeah and we put a huge amount of time in it and then we thought okay how can we and this might sound a bit a bit two-sided but how can we spend as least as possible time and have the biggest possible impact and that's when I think we started with the foundations for shaping fashion mm yeah i think that sounds about right right like how can we be so focused that uh, the the output the actual impact is massive and meanwhile um we don't have to effort our way there i think it you know this this work work hard hustle hard culture is transitioning as well and so if you can work smart and i mean what you guys have, have been doing you know like i i found you because the, the global shapers Facebook group where like thousands of global shapers are in appointing your way saying look these these ladies from Amsterdam have united multiple hubs around the world to collaborate together which is really like for me this is a definition of working smart is when we can collaborate beyond countries beyond borders so tell, tell us a little bit more about that journey like what happened so far um, and what's happening every April with the fashion revolution week and how are other global shaper hubs but also like you know uh, general consumers, uh, how do you call them to action to participate? Yeah, so I think it started out with this idea of, okay, we have this global shapers network. How can we, how can we add value to that? And how can, them, how can we mobilize them around sustainable fashion? Um, and then uh, Holly knew about this initiative called Fashion Revolution. Uh, which is an NGO based in the UK, which every year since the Rana Plaza incident uh, took place, uh, like the factory collapsed because of insufficient health and safety 
conditions in Bangladesh, um, that they want to pay attention to this issue in, in the fashion industry. Um, and they had a similar network across the globe. So they have country coordinators in several countries that mobilize and uh, engage with the local community around this topic every Fashion Revolution Week in April. So we thought, okay, why can't we help them uh, and connect to them uh, and provide volunteering hours and see how we can sort of add value to their mission. So that's what we explored um, with them and they were very enthusiastic, they were very engaged and they are very happy with our help. We even had some uh, hubs that became country coordinators because they weren't existing in those countries yet. So we also helped them um, yeah, open up their network even further, uh, which I think is very exciting. And it's still, yeah, it's still going on. Um, and I think every hub has the freedom to yeah, design the kind of activity that is most relevant in their context because fashion has various uh, supply chains uh, various um, aspects that may be relevant in certain countries more than in others. So for example, in our country, the, the chain is more focused on the end consumer. And um, um, yeah, so we want to focus on what's the kind of information that you as a consumer want to know what kind of purchase you're making, for example, is it a sustainable one or not? Or what, what should we do to actually make it more sustainable? Whilst we have hubs, for example, um, in India, where they see other issues in the manufacturing phase. So they want to try to collaborate with other organizations to actually improve also the labor conditions there, which is, yeah, I think the strength of, uh, of the project itself. You see so many issues in different areas and by collaborating like that, we can learn and help the fashion industry further. That's fascinating. And it makes total sense, um, you know, that as a global, like fashion um, world in that way, we're, we're consumers, but also creators. And so different things apply for different regions. Um, yeah, Holly, what, what do you, if you chime in on this, like what do you see um, becomes possible now that you guys are on this journey for a bit? Because I know you're very passionate from how we spoke offline right before about just like the small things people can do in their own life, right? Like, so if we look at the more, um, Western demographic, like where possibly most of us are fashion consumers. So what are the things we might want to be aware of? Yeah, I think, um, so one of the things that we really try to do in this project is so to utilize these global networks, um, but also to empower people. Um, people generally, <laughs> in my perception, really want to contribute to something positive and are very keen to receive tools to make it relevant for their wherever they are in the world so it's really providing people with tools that are often already exist i mean if you check out the fashion revolution website they've got an amazing set of resources from simple things like games that you can play with friends to templates on how you can um, reach out to your local policymakers. Um, and an example of a few of the things that we did during fashion revolution week this year was just to create a social media campaign with five simple steps on how everyone can have uh, a positive contribution. Uh, and one of the first steps um, that we really stimulate people to do is to ask transparency from their brands. So to ask who made my clothes, where are my clothes from, what's the environmental impact on their clothes. Um, I think in general, brands are the creators and the ones that retail to us all as citizens. 
and they have a responsibility and accountability. Um, so we, uh, we stimulate people to ask who made my clothes. Um, and then other simple things are, for example, to wash smart. So you basically, whenever you wash your clothes, pouring lots of chemicals onto your clothing. I think one of the easiest things that I try and convince everyone to do is just to buy an ecological detergent to fill your totally. washing to air dry, to wash at low temperatures. Because within, if you're looking just at the environmental in, um, aspects, you've got a production impact. So that's the journey that a piece of clothing has made until it reaches your wardrobe. Then you also have a personal impact and that can be huge. So for example, if you think about a pair of gym clothes, you, you always, at least I always wash my gym clothes. I've got to wash my gym clothes every time. So that ongoing washing, that's energy, that's water, that's chemicals that's used. We're trying to create a bit more awareness about those kind of um, environmental impacts so you can change, change them yourselves. Another simple thing such as um, extending the life of the garment that you have. If you think back to um, maybe pictures of your grandparents or your great grandparents looking amazing and very proud in the clothing that they wear. I mean, times have changed so drastically. We, buy and throw away clothes at this disastrous rate um, and when you actually cherish things and repair them and build up a history with them um, that extending the life saves a huge amount of co2 emissions of raw materials so environmentally that's a, a great thing to do as well and that's something everyone can look at yeah, I like those really like simple and basic, um, you know, pragmatic steps because there are a few things in the world that we all partake in. If it's like brushing your teeth and um, using a plastic toothbrush, or if it is the, the you know, the, the things we wear and the way we interact with them. And it is quite shocking to see that increasingly we've become like a one-way throw, throwaway culture, right? Um, so maybe um, just to understand like, the vision and the mission behind what you guys are creating. Like in your own words, if you could revolutionize um, the entire fashion industry, like what, what, would, what would it look like and what's the dream here? Ooh, that's a bold question. Um, I think the main purpose is to make it sustainable. And I think by sustainable, we mean both environmentally sustain, uh, sustainable, but also socially sustainable and financially sustainable. So I think it's, it's a three-way thing that you would like to balance out. Um, and I think it's a difficult thing to reach with the current business models that are out there. So we need a lot of innovation, um, either in technology, but also indeed in new types of materials, um, but also in the way we value things. Um, so we are currently, um, yeah, as human beings using uh, currencies and money to value things. But I think we should shift towards another way of looking at items that we have and that we own, or maybe we should go towards another system where we don't own stuff anymore, but we can actually um, uh, lend from each other and, um, and go to, yeah, go to a more like barter way of, uh, of living. Um, but those are all new concepts that we see that a lot of smaller enterprises and even some bigger ones are uh, exploring at the moment to see what it means for all the other requirements that are out there in terms of legal, financial uh, and other uh, aspects. But I think they're very promising uh, initiatives as well. And I think if we can scale them up, 
we can definitely have a disruption in the system as it is now. Yeah, I fully agree with Colette as well. I think, and it's not only applicable to fashion, but also to basically the way that we consume things, um, that a true price has to be calculated. And that's not one that's just uh, monetary, but also what is the impact of this on the planet? What is the impact on the people and the communities that are involved in this supply chain? So I think the only thing that I could add is that, um, for me, that's also something that I do within um, my work, um, it's really about empowering people by providing meaningful and trustworthy information so that people can make informed decisions and that people, people can buy products and definitely fashion because there's a huge way to go in fashion, uh, but that meet their values so that you know, have people been treated fairly? Where has this been sourced? Um, how much water was used? Are people being paid a fair price? And I think this transparency um, will help people to make better choices and will help scale sustainability in fashion and the availability of sustainable fashion. Because let's be honest, now it's very difficult to find products and garments that meet all of our values. I think in food it's happened, um, it's happening thankfully, at least uh, in the Netherlands, where you can um, find organic products or can find local products. And I think that's definitely the direction that's needed for fashion as well. Yeah, very insightful. And thank you so much for sharing that. I think, of course, at the end, it all ties into the larger systems, right? And, and it's just up to us to really recreate the way we bring value and uh, value-based economy into the current structures and amend them. So there's lots of work to do. Um, I, I really love the initiatives and kind of the collaboration on a global scale that's already happening through you, the Amsterdam Hub and your activities. And also the way how awareness and asking questions really, questions really changes everything, right? Like the moment we uh, engage with companies and producers about these questions and hold them accountable for the values we believe in on this planet, things, things change, maybe slowly at first, but they change. I have a question that's more personal at this point and um, you can both answer or whoever feels more called to it. But basically like, how do you both choose optimism in a world that is still, you know, um, at least the narratives on, on mainstream media are quite shocking for a lot of people. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily the state of the world only, but how do you both personally choose optimism with such a big project like what you have in front of you and with life in general? I think it's partially my personality. <laughs> I tend to to move towards yeah um, nuancing and trying to make things work, trying to get the best out of life. And I think um, given also the the sort of opportunities that I've had so far, the education that I've had, the the the, the valuable insights that I've gained with all the experiences that I have, I, I also feel sort of a responsibility to uh, give that back to society and to, yeah, to yeah, spend as much time and energy in that. And also, I also get a lot of energy out of doing that. So for me, I always reflect upon, well, during a period, uh, is it still helpful what I'm doing? Am I meeting the impact that I would like to have? Um, and I continue with it if that's the case. And if I realize, well, it's not working, I go and seek for something else that, that gives me energy. So yeah, this is, I th and I think it's indeed, it's quite a, a personal thing that I tend to do in, in life in general. <laughs> yeah. 
and like you said, I think the media have a big influence on on how we how we perceive the world nowadays. Um, and my strategy there is also to stay naive in a certain way, so not take all media for granted and not um, yeah get along in all these messages too much, but also yeah create your own reality by also sourcing different channels actually um, and not yeah not trapping into the the narrative the global narrative that's out there indeed thank you yeah um, i think that positivity as well um having known colette now for a few years is something that she really brings to uh, the different platforms and forums that she's involved with so yeah i think that's completely true uh, <laughs> i think for me um I think sometimes getting really critical and being negative can be an easy way out. Um, and I think it can be tiresome. And I think one of the, the, the mottos or the mantras that I live by is not to judge, but just to do. Um, I think especially about 10 years ago when I started out in sustainable fashion, people like, yeah, but you don't know this or you don't know that, or we can't, sustainability isn't perfection changing the world isn't perfection it's taking steps and doing something positive and using your energy to actually do stuff instead of complain or criticize or yeah i think that can sometimes just be the easy way out although sometimes i think as you say colette it can get overwhelming just the state of the world we're in and the crazy things that are happening um by the world leaders globally um but I think it's just finding power in what you can change and how you can affect that. And if you're able to share that with people, such as the Global Shapers community, um, I think that, that that brings a lot of positivity as well. Yeah, beautiful answers from both of you there. I totally understand that, you know, the state of the world actually is, is also what we make it. And um, only because some news sources and some of the leaders in the world or the, the structures in the world are still showing a side of humanity that might s seem like it's from the last, not just century, but literally the last millennia, doesn't mean that um, you listening and us sharing this right now need to feel uh, stopped or even challenged at what we're doing. Because there is really a whole uh, evolution of people acting on value and trying to find ways how to bring value basically into everything we, we create as people on the planet. And that brings me to my next question, which is the education system. And if you two had like an input or you could change the education system at large by just a, a few thoughts and words you're sharing right now, what would you, what would you do? What would you change about the way we educate the children and, and adults in this world? Yeah, I think it's also very promising to see some of these sort of like energy renewable energy awareness projects with little children who are then telling their moms and dads to turn off the lights you know i think those are very yeah. promising things very concrete actions and they actually raise well they they put their parents in a certain spot so i think that's very powerful and if if they if that generation starts asking questions that's very helpful at the same time i do still see a lag when it comes to at least business schools um, and financial uh, programs, that there's very little integration mm. um, of sustainability in programs at the moment still. And this has been going on, I think for five years, people have been trying to put that into programs. But I, I really think also, if you would like to change the system in a bigger way, we need to change that type of education as well. 
they need to know that there's also other ways to look at the economy and to value companies, uh, for example, if you're a trader or whatever. So that's a valid point. I love that you're mentioning that, Colette, because it feels like it's similar to, let's say, especially out in North America, how um, medicine is being taught in universities is it leaves very little room for the more Eastern and more uh, energy-based energy uh, understandings of, of well-being, right? Which people then have to search out individually and similar to economics. I remember, I, I don't think in university, I went to university back in Germany, we ever, we went to corporate social responsibility at the time. I remember that about like, things companies can do to add on to their pay giving back kind of cycle, which I think is a, a valid step. But on that note, I have another question for, question for both of you. And it's more pragmatic. I know you're both global shapers. That means you're also like world travelers. Um, what three places in the world do you feel most drawn to or most fascinated by or just like your favorite spots on this planet? Oh. Difficult one. <laughs> That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> How personal do you want these answers? Well, it totally is up to you. You can share like your personal story, why you love those three places. Maybe there's, you know, a special person there. Maybe there's uh, the best place to be inspired. I mean, you know, three places is not a lot on the planet that can house like 8 billion people. I get that. <laughs> One place that is definitely at the top of my list is um, a small village in the northern Italy called Soava. It's very small. It's around the vineyards and stuff. And I got married there. So that's very special for me. But I also just, what I love about northern Italy and Italy in general is just this Dolce Vita life, taking things easy, appreciating each other, taking time in the environment, eating local produce, Okay, let's be honest, I love the food and I love the wine, but I love the people as well and the whole setting. So that's, for me, definitely a, a very special place. That's my number one, probably. <laughs> and Colette, how about you? Uh, yeah, I'm thinking, I think the, the thing that made, made a big impression on me was uh, some Japanese islands down south, uh, close to the Okinawa group. Uh, so it's Oriomata and two others. Sorry, I've got the names. They're very Japanese names. <laughs> uh, but I was very impressed by that because I always had the association with Japan being, yeah, having Mount Fuji and having a bit of like a cold environment. But then if you go down south, it's like completely the opposite. It's like tropical islands, very isolated because there's very few people living on those islands themselves. Um, and they're very beautiful. They, they have some of the yeah, most precious nature. There's still mangroves there, for example, and you're really, um, there's very few people also visiting those islands. So for me, that was a special sort of expedition uh, going there and realizing also like how even that far away, you have such beautiful things and uh, how you can actually, yeah, enjoy those in in peace and, and quiet i think that's very such yeah. secret tips you both are giving people here like northern <laughs> italy small villages and pacific islands that i didn't know about that are part of japan holly what else if, if between the two of you have three places what other place are is like totally at the top of your heart right right now right this moment well i mean i must say i've been traveling quite a lot this year so quite extensively with work um so, okay, yeah, I've got my next two. So I think most surprising and what I 
thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed was um, being in Bangalore in India. Um, I wasn't there very long and I was there for work, but what an amazing, vibrant, beautiful city, um, lovely people. It's very green. Apparently, the I haven't been anywhere else in India, but apparently it's a, a really livable city as well. And I, I really enjoyed it there. And it's amazing because I got, had the opportunity to go and see um, factories and to work with people uh, based in India. Um, so that was really special. We were talking to manufacturers about how they can be more involved in transparent supply chains. And yeah, it was really, really amazing. Cool. And then I think because of all my travel, I've actually really started to appreciate Amsterdam. Amsterdam's home for me. Um, lived here for years and years. And we're so spoiled because it's like this tiny little village, really. People just bike around and you can be everywhere within 20 minutes. But it's got everything that you need of a city all compact together. And I think it's such a privilege to be able to bike everywhere instead of being stuck in a car and stuff. So, yeah, I think uh, Sawatha, Bangalore, Amsterdam. <laughs> but that will probably change next year. But it changes all the time right if i would ask the same question tomorrow it might change so colette what any other place you want to mention i was uh, I, I will echo amsterdam for sure because i okay, love nice. biking and uh, i still find in other cities that very that's not always very easy to do give us your insider tip about amsterdam the two of you that you know live there for years and years like what if people visit what are the things they what is the one thing they should be doing actually that that maybe no one thinks of Mm, that no one thinks of. I think that's a difficult one because I mean, maybe you think people already think of. <laughs> but I think going outside of the city center, going into the actually into the bit more further away neighborhoods, and maybe taking a bike outside of Amsterdam to um, to Ouderkerk aan de Amstel, which is like a tiny town, and you you bike along a river. It's a very beautiful place to go to. Uh, I think that would be my uh, insider tip. Yeah, and maybe <laughs> if you come in summer, then you should make yourself a picnic basket and first go swimming in the pool. <laughs> so you can go swimming in the Amstel River and then bike to Audekerk, and I think that would be a beautiful day. <laughs> I love it. I love it. This is literally when people ask me about like what what should I do in Berlin? I always say go only go in the summer and rent a bicycle. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, amazing. So. I, I do have I do have another question or two for you, um, and really the next one is is bring us back to the idea of purpose. And you know I've told you earlier, like for me it's showing up as the idea of planetary purpose. You know, being in relationship with the planet and us as a species at large, which then informed at least for me my purpose. In your own words, uh, what is purpose, and how do you feel connected to it? Well, purpose for me. I think it's to do with wanting to have meaning in what I do day in and day out. I, I think we people <laughs> spend a lot of our time um, of our lives working and using our, our minds and our expertise and our energy um, for work purposes. And the only way that I'd want to do that is if that contributes to something that I believe in and I believe that needs to happen. And as I said, fashion has always been something that I love and being able to merge that with something so critical as revolutionizing the industry, that's just what makes me excited, makes me wanna to go to work in the morning. And um, yeah, it can be challenging 
but I think that the thing that, that lights the fire in your belly, I think that's probably the purpose. Yeah, I can only uh, agree with that. Um, mm. And I think I still have a bit of issues with the, the, the naming of purpose. Uh, for me, it's, yeah, I, I associate it more with what I get energy out of. Um, and I think mm. indeed by, by having a, a meaningful impact, both on the environment and socially by engaging with people, learning from people all day long, uh, challenging myself, but also others. I think that's one of the main uh, ideas behind the activities that I undertake and the, the things that I do in life. Um, yeah, those are sort of my drivers, I would say. So this is really curious because you're, you were saying the word purpose and like the distinctions maybe that we need to, to come up with, which you know, sustainability is also one of those where if we're just creating a world that is sustainable, is that like uh, quotation marks here, is that even enough? Like, uh, isn't the, the world in itself without human intervention, isn't the world regenerative in nature, right? And so when you're saying purpose and what gives us energy, I think of this idea of regenerative, not just thinking and believing, but actually um, being part of the larger ecosystem in the way that we understand every action when it's truly connected through purpose might turn into a regenerative part, which currently I think we may mostly call this social impact. But So it's really interesting because our whole language dictionary might be upgrading as we're looking deeper into our values and the, the way we create and the way we, we are global citizens um, taking care of each other. What comes up there for the two of you? Yeah, I was also thinking about when you said planetary purpose, it seems very much from the sort of like environmental and globe perspective, whilst we as human beings are there on this globe as one small tiny pixel having an influence potentially on on this planet but also in our social interactions and i think relating that back also to fashion i think one of the issues that we have currently is that we've actually lost connection with our clothes we have no clue anymore where they come from we have no clue who has made them and we have no clue that it actually consists of a plant which needs to grow somewhere, which needs richness in soil and water and other elements to actually uh, be then turned into a threat and then into fa fabric. So I think indeed by being able to connect back, like you say, I think that will really help in people's understanding and also potentially in the way they treat each other, but also the materials that they have. So what comes up for me is the follow-up question to that is, is around trust, you know, and, and, and like maybe specifically towards fashion and how to trust things that are produced in other countries and organizations, but maybe let's even start in individually first, whoever wants to go first, like what is required for you to trust? Well, for me, to, if I'm in relation to, to fashion, then it's definitely um, access to information. Um, knowing where does something come come from, what are the different steps being, what is it made out of, um, and eventually we're not completely there yet, but actually being able to see what has this um, product, what what is it, what is the impact being on the environment, so how does this contribute to um, climate change, um, where are the uh, raw materials from, who have made my clothes, and it's just answering having having those answers available to me and not that I have to go searching for them, but they're presented, even the good and the bad. I'd rather have a honest picture that isn't perfect than have this glossy, semi-sustainable claim 
that doesn't evoke trust for me at all. So it's really having like this objective information. So I can make my own decisions and determine, okay, does this meet my values or not? And I think values can change per person as well. So someone might be um, only want to buy local or want to buy vegan products and that might be different values to someone else. So I think it's really having this information available from a trusted source. Yeah, I totally agree. I think also knowing the intent of people is very important when it comes to trust. So knowing whether companies are actually sincere about transforming into a more sustainable version of themselves, I think is very helpful in, in deciding where you want to buy from. And this all has to do indeed with information and being transparent about also the gaps that are still currently in your uh, in your business model or in the way you source uh, materials or the way you treat people in your supply chain. Um, and I think, well, I think there are plenty of companies that are doing a great job at that already. I mean, Patagonia is a great example. They've been there, well, they have exceptional leadership, I think as well, um, um, but also in their outings on websites, on their websites, they are very transparent on, yeah, what they're working on and, and how they're trying to achieve it. And also if it has failed, how they're gonna try to come up with something new, which I think, yeah, really helps in, uh, in getting trust. Yeah, thank you both. I feel like those are, those are also relatable to interpersonal trust, right? Like having information in the sense of like understanding someone or taking the patience to understand, which in the fashion example also is relevant, right? Like how often do we make purchasing decisions in like split seconds without even at all connecting with a longer chain of information? And definitely, like, I mean, if we could find a way to make tr intent transparent, we, our, our, um, our way of interacting might change, right? So really interesting. That leaves me pondering, which I like. I have one last question for the two of you. And that's what made me start this podcast. That's what like my underlying kind of motivation is, is to like lift up the perspective and think a little bit more long-term. So when we say sustainable or regenerative in nature, I think it is because we believe that um, the planet might want to exist with humans on it for longer than just this one next generation. And so my question is, if we were to actually have a seven generational vision, like a, a vision that's actually holistic for planet and humanity on the planet, um, like a vision for the next 200 years almost. What do you two feel um, becomes possible or maybe needs to be an essential part of it? Like what's, what's coming up in that context? Hmm, I th that's tough. So what would our vision be if it's over seven generations? Or what, what do you think, what possibility mm -hmm. do you see? Yeah, like what's, what's in your heart space or in, in your visionary mind there that like, if it's a seven generational vision, if we're actually like going out that far, like what needs to be part of this planet or what's part of our evolutionary uh, spiral that we're hopefully getting to? I fear that I might be falling into repetition, but I mean, I would imagine I, well, within those seven generations that we just won't buy things that we don't know the full story behind. I think that will be the baseline and I think our whole approach to consumption will be very different and ownership and um, yeah, I think circularity will be reformative and will really change 
how we look at ownership as well. Um, but yeah, I feel these are things I already said before. What do you think, Colette? Do you have an idea? Yeah, I always find it fascinating to philosophize about where we're going to go and where we're going to head. And I think there's like, there's a couple of streams out there. Either it can be complete tech where we might not even be producing our clothes anymore based on planetary materials, but it's completely, I don't know, uh, digital. Um, and it depends on how robotized we as human beings might be in future that we can actually yeah, change change our out, <laughs> outfits every second, maybe, if we'd like to. Uh, but I, I tend to go for another scenario where I hope we will be more living in the planetary boundaries um, and actually, yeah, use the materials that are there in a valuable way. And um, indeed, like you say, in a regenerative way um, that um, is the most sustainable version uh, that we can have. I think that's um, that's what the scenario that I hope we will reach, and also on the more social side that we will do this in a less harmful way than we're doing at the moment. So actually, yeah, appreciating everyone um, that's taking part on this planet and um, sharing whatever this planet has to bring us. How cool would it be if you do have like this radical transparency that you always know? who's been involved in something that you buy and it's almost like this interaction like an open dialogue as well not just this was made there in this factory but these are the people who made your clothes and you can be like have like this interaction with them i think that'd be really cool and that would so drastically change how you appreciate something instead of just being like buying it and throwing away but i do like the idea of having this crazy morph suit that is as comfortable as pajamas but then you can just change it and it'll be looking like all these crazy couture outfits as well <laughs> The crazy morph suit, that's a good one. I haven't heard about that one so far. It could be a hoodie when I need it to be a hoodie and then it turns into a suit. I, I like your musings there and this is why I'm asking the question. I believe if we can't imagine it, um, it can't be possible, but when we can imagine it and then when we can articulate it, we can direct our energy towards it. And so, um, you know, it's, it's worth detaching from the sarcasm and cynicism of our Western world and, and realizing, okay, so what if the, there is a blank slate where would we actually want to go, right? And then from there can be reverse engineered to fit into, because um, we're not on a blank slate right now, obviously. Um, but in an existing reality where things are great, but also some things are still kind of uh, fucked up in some ways. And so I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your project and the way um, you shared some insights today with me and um, the tribe, the Green Planet, Blue Planet tribe. If there's anything else you want to you wanna mention right now or like any call to action or some something you want to point people towards um, now would be the time maybe holly your visit to uh, davos <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so well first thanks julian as well i think especially the if it if we can imagine it that's something we can achieve so that's definitely food for thought that you're giving me to think about and maybe as i prepare for my chip trip um, so in January, I will be attending the World Economic Forum um, annual meeting in uh, Davos in Switzerland. So if any listeners are going to be there, I'd be really keen to meet up and talk about how we can scale this sustainable fashion revolution and really accelerate the great work that's already been uh, put into practice. So that definitely. And then I would say if anyone else is listening and wants to know more about how they can make a meaningful change within their own environment or even in their 
their personal space, um, definitely to check out the Global Shapers Shaping Fashion page and the Fashion Revolution page as well. Fashion Revolution have got great resources um, and they're global. Cool. Well, we'll link that up as well. Thank you both so much for taking the time. It was wonderful to check in with you. Thanks a lot as well. And good luck with the next endeavors. <laughs> Thank you. And that's that. Another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I hope you truly enjoyed this one and received some insights, knowledge, and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life, into your relationships, or maybe even into your business and the way you show up for the world. Because this is a movement and we're all part of it, very much so, and we're in this together. We're here to create a world of a triple bottom line, where you win, I win, and the entire planet wins. We're raising consciousness together, and you know that. That's why you're listening, that's why I love you. So make sure to share the love. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app, invite a friend to listen to a Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And if you have an idea who else you'd like me to interview, make sure you reach out and send me a suggestion. Definitely check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com, the website to the podcast. I've created a lot of different offers for you, free content, free meditations for you to amplify your connection to self, the state of social impact in the world, and for you to connect and listen to who you could support of the people that I actually interview, because their missions are ongoing and a lot of them need more collaboration. And after more than 100 episodes now, with some of the world's leading social impact experts, I have synthesized my most inspired learnings and takeaways to create coaching and mentorship programs for you and the people around you. Let me share with you about planetary purpose coaching and mentorship experiences. If you're in a space in your life where you're ready to level up to amplify who you are, what's coming through you and what you're doing to give your gift to the world, then I would love to hear from you and I'd love for you to apply to one of my private mentorships or group mentorships because getting all of the juice, all of that life force that's in you out into the world is something you deserve and the entire world around us deserves. Also, I work with people who are entirely new to this, to the topic of planetary purpose or the topic of meditation, the topic of insight, evolution and revolution. And if that's you and you're ready to step out of the ordinary and into creation, or if you know someone who is totally ready for that, make sure to check out the website or share the website. And you can also always shoot me a message on Instagram. I'll definitely read it and get back to you. Because, like, th guys, this is real life. Let's be in touch and let's create this together. Last but not least, there's a few different group experiences I host, both in person and online. All of them are quantum learning environments, and I'm happy to tell you more. So simply inform yourself and stay connected, because whatever resonates with you, I'm here to support you and bring out more purpose into the world. And with that being said, wherever you are in the world, make sure to be you, show up all the way, be all in. Connect with someone today, make them smile, have yourself a stellar day. Lots of love to you and until soon.